My name is Nicholas Nicario, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we're talking an augmented fourth uh, novel by. Someone had to do it. <laughs> this book's by Tony McMillan. Uh, is it's out now, Steve? Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was officially released um, earlier this week, and then on on a Saturday. So that'd be the eighth, because this will be published on Wednesday. On the eighth of July, there's a release party at Kamikaze in uh, Cambridge for anybody who's local listening to this and wants to go and get their, a copy of it. Nice. Now, now really a, a cliff's note summary. This is a love letter to black Sabbath, the thing and die hard. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing part of it kind of uh, ends early though. Right. Right. Pretty, pretty. And it really just, it, it, it it has those elements, but it really is. It's a it's a love. It, not only is it a love letter to Black Sabbath, but it's a love letter to a very specific period of Black Sabbath. And I have a bone to pick with you, Tony. I like Ronnie James Dio. I like him in Black Sabbath. I like him in Rainbow. I don't like his solo stuff or the Dio band, but that's my problem. But don't you go like dissing Ronnie James Dio throughout this whole book and expect to not get called on it by me. There you go. Steve has spoken. Me, I say, I say Tony owes me a plate of cold fried chicken because the motherfucker is eating cold fried chicken through at least a quarter of the book. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 fantastic because it's geezer fucking butler who had <laughs> Who's thinly disguised as Codger? What was his last name? Burton. Manservant. <laughs> Codger Burton. <laughs> Which is, it's hilarious because, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because back in the days when Geezer actually got his nickname in England, a Geezer was just a guy. He, so he, it was I, like mod. It was like mod terminology, right? Right. Hey, geezer. If you, hey. Yeah. If you watch old clips of interviews of the Who, they're calling each other geezers all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but it's funny because, like here in America, it means old motherfucker. So he called him codger. <laughs> right. And, and so what we're we're seeing here, we're seeing. Codger, who is a member of a band called uh, what is it? What was the name of the band? Frivolous Black. Frivolous Frivolous Black. Black. Who was a rejected character from the Harry Potter series. (laughs) That's right. He was was, 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 Sirius Black's brother is Frivolous Black. Well, actually, Regulus was his other brother. Regulus was his Brother. Regulus, Sirius, yeah. and Frivolous. There right. were there were three brothers. 
Um, so what he we was have a muggle. Is, he was a muggle. He was a squib. He was a squib. So they carted him off to uh, Birmingham, where he formed a band with Sully Sullivan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, these names, the Tony, if you're listening, these names crack Steve up. He, it, They're awesome seriously. because you know who it is. The, the guy is standing for uh, Tony Iommi. I should have written this shit down. It's like Italian name. Vinny. Mm-hmm. well Ozzy Osbourne at one point when Dio when he was out and Dio was in um, and they kicked Bill Ward out and replaced him with Vinny Apache Mm -hmm. Um, he called he called the band uh, Three Wops and Geezer (laughs) Three Wops and Geezer I'm the fucking Prince of Darkness. Right. So so what we have is we have Codger, who is you know they're, they're here. There's, there's the drummer. The drummer's the greatest the greatest joke of all is the drummer. Okay. So Black Sabbath's drummer is Bill Ward. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Here he is. Bert. He's just referred to as Bert. Bert Ward. Holy heavy metal, Batman! <laughs> it's awesome, Tony. I love the names. The names are great. The names are great. I was sold on the the band names alone. <laughs> All right. So anyway, continue. Sorry. All right. I had to get so, that out of the way. So the book opens up. Codger's waking up in this hotel during the snowstorm of the century. In Bastin. In Bastin. Bastin. Um, he wakes up. He's he's trying to detox. He's trying to quit booze and coke at the same time. Uh, Never a good thing. He's sick. He, he wakes up. Uh, he thinks he's all alone in the hotel and goes wandering around looking to survive. Well, he's looking for a pack of cigarettes. Well, a pack of cigarettes, definitely, because, you know... First thing I'm going to look for when, and if I'm snowed in a hotel, is a pack of cigarettes. Fuck. Yeah. So apparently the whole hotel has been evacuated, except for him because he fell asleep because he was detoxing. Uh, yeah, he was hiding in the closet. Yeah. Like you so, do. Like you do when you're when you're detoxing. Um, Every time I've detoxed, I've I've not been in a closet. It's been a couple of times too. So. Well, you're not rock and roll enough, Steve. God damn it. Goes downstairs. Guys go to bed at four. AM, PM. One of those two. Anyway, he goes downstairs, smashes a cigarette machine, meets a bellhop. Uh, bellhop takes him to the kitchen to get some food. Bellhop's huge fan. Huge fan. Right, huge fan. Will you listen like, to my demo, Mister Codger? Well, he's one of those guys that knows everything about the band—not just the music, but like what they ate last Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know what the specs are on their equipment. Who they date? How many? How many coils are around the G, the E string of Codger's bass? Yeah, he's he's basically me. When I was a kid, because I 
you know, this is the kind of shit I got into. Mm-hmm. And trust me, it is a hard thing to do before the days of Wikipedia to know everything there is to know about a band. Yes. And these are the days before Wikipedia. It is. It takes place uh, the week after John Lennon is shot. Mm-hmm. Codger is, is reflecting on that. Um, and, and, yeah, everybody snowed in. He thinks he's alone in the hotel. He meets up with the, the, the bellhop. Um, thinks it's just the two of them. Turns out there's even more people in this hotel. Right. Uh, it seems that uh, the the current queen of punk rock is is also staying here, as is the legendary bodyguard to the stars. Right. And, and you get one final person who's wandering around the hotel somewhere is Frankie. Whom we all know as David Bowie. Yes. Um, if you are a big Bowie fan and you were upset about Bowie's death to the point where you couldn't function for a week, um, you're about to get triggered. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, before we get into that, you do have an interesting dynamic between the old... The aging rocker and the up and coming punk queen. Mm. Yes. Um, now I don't know how many of you guys were alive who listened to this back in the day when this dynamic actually happened. When you had the true like old guard heavy metal guys were on their way out, and uh, because they they were. It was perceived they were too big to sustain themselves. You had these bands like Black Sabbath, um, like Yes, Pink Floyd, all the bands I love, who were selling out stadiums and losing touch with their rock and roll roots. And uh, punk rock filled the void that that uh, heavy metal or harder rock had actually had a generation prior. A rock generation, not an actual generation. So, um, you had these kids who grew up listening to old Black Sabbath, old, you know, old Judas Priest, old Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, etc., who now were forming their own bands um, with that same fire that these guys had 10 years ago. Mm. And, uh, the fire goes out um, with Black Sabbath at, at the time that this is being written. And Tony gets into this frivolous black Black Sabbath. I put out, according to Tony, three, but I'll go with two really shitty albums. Sorry, I like Sabotage. Um, that cost them their singer and cost them a lot of their audience. Right. And, um, and here comes this upstart who has one album out that everybody adores because it's, it's got that energy. Um, think about old, like the clash and Blondie and uh, well, she, she's a, an out amalgamation of several bands, but like, you know, like bow, wow, wow, or the plasmatics and the energy that they had and that they brought to the table when, you know, Black Sabbath is a bunch of fucking alcoholic junkies. Mm-hmm. 
So he goes into that. It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, there's it's definitely definitely a nice little uh, roundabout history lesson in 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 rock and roll. Um, and I, I would say, you know, early on in the book, where it's the strongest is when you have the characters who have come together. The initial horror has has passed, and you know, and these characters are just kind of sitting around shooting the shit. And that's that's when this book really starts to shine is after that first strange encounter. And and they're they're all like you know trying to figure out a way to cope with it and they're they're just talking. Yeah, it's like it's a little bit of banter, it's a little bit of uh, personal jabs, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's a lot of um of projecting your fears onto each other and Tony handles that that dynamic really well yes and you know above all this is this is kind of a a a monster story but it's also kind of a very very cosmic as we start getting into the the stranger things going on behind the initial encounter um there's a creature that we'll call the earworm itself just because he does because he does (laughs) um which is pretty much it comes to you. It comes to certain generations of performers and helps inspire them so that it can feed off of what they create. Yeah. It's, it's it's a, it's kind of a cosmic horror version of the crossroads legend. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Instead of making a deal with the devil, you have the, cosmic entity coming down and making a deal with with the musicians right and it's not really so much a deal it's just like here you go you know here's the seed of creativity as it were and right. and you hear this phenomenal cosmic sound and you create it as music and in in Tony's book uh, Codger has it and it's what enabled him to create, uh, help create these these initial uh, frivolous black success albums, uh, where they're talking, you know, and and really kind of deal with the subject matter that dealt with the occult and and things like that. And that was what they were known for. And Codger also bitches about the 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 Dio um, analog. That's you know all he pretty much has come in and he's copying what they did before, but it's just, it's lacking something. Right. Well, because, um, just in, in history, geezer Butler wrote the lyrics for black Sabbath, mm-hmm. um, for, all, for anything Ozzy was involved with, with black right. Sabbath. That's lyrics. And when, now when they chucked Ozzy out and Dio came on, well, Dio can write lyrics. So, he, these are now. I've seen interviews where he had actually said he was relieved that he didn't have to do that anymore um, because it was a pain in the ass. Right. But but uh, Dio Dio was like you know he's the whole package. He was a musician. Um, he he could you know hear what the band was playing and create his own melodies, create his own lyrics. Whereas Ozzy kind of followed what um, Iomi was doing. Mm-hmm. With his melodies 
it will create a melody that is basically just a riff on the guitar. And then uh, Geezer Butler would write lyrics for it. And Geezer Butler was into some weird shit. I mean, you know, listen to Black Sabbath's lyrics and mm. they're weird. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no wonder like why people who like weird tales and Lovecraft and blah, 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 enjoy Black Sabbath because it's a match made in heaven. Or hell. As it were. But don't tell Tony that because, you know, ooh, you don't want to mention the deal years. <laughs> <clears throat> and so Kevin are Hell's heroes. Be fucking ringtone now, Tony. <laughs> so our our heroes who none of which are actually heroes all of these all of these people are just like oh for Christ's sake yeah they're all they all they're all burnouts and burnouts and cowards and you know they're except for the bodyguard the bodyguard is well yeah the bodyguard's like he's the only guy that knows what he's doing he's like okay he's a mercenary yeah he's a mercenary he's like you know Okay, you know who the bodyguard is? I, I thought of this uh, after we talked about it since, you know, I don't know if he's an actual anal- uh, analog of a character. But in in my mind, the bodyguard is Jim Kelly. Not the football player? No, the, uh, the, the martial arts guy from Enter the Dragon. Ghetto's oh, the same all over the world. <laughs> That's that's who he kind of reminded me of, especially when he said he had the afro and you know gave him that that stereotypical like seventies action hero, fresh from Vietnam, you know, bodyguard, all this other stuff. I'm like, yep, that's Jim Kelly. Well, it's funny because if you if you watch any rock documentaries where they interview the people around the stars, they're all that guy. Every mm-hmm. fucking last one of them is. I was just watching a fucking Grateful Dead um, documentary. Right. And they interviewed, like, their road manager from, from like, the early 70s, and he's this Brit, and he's like, he's, like, out of lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. <laughs> he's ready to be the transporter, and you're just like, fuck, they're all like that. I was there with Jerry and the others. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They didn't know so any just, idea. I just shove them into the fucking bus, give them a goddamn fucking eight ball of cocaine, and we'd be on our way. That's what I did. I shoved them in the fucking bus, gave them an eight ball of cocaine. When the fans came charging, I covered myself in grease and fought them hand to hand, just like uh, we did uh, in Nam. Battle Alfred. <laughs> it's like having your own Battle Alfred. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he is like that guy, right? He's he's that guy. Um, and then we we go through and and I really don't want to like you know, like get too too into detail about the plot because no, it's each twist and turn. Right, you definitely want to read this, and it's each twist and turn in the mystery is paced so well and interspersed with just the right amount of character development and 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 um, you know just banter and and characters getting to know each other. Uh, you know, everybody grows a little bit 
even even the the punk kid who turns out to be who he's somebody he's not. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that it was it the, the thing, mm-hmm. and I had read a lot of the blurbs on here. Um, well, let's just look at the back. Uh, this is the second blurb. The thing meets Black Sabbath, riffing Thunder Horse, crank to eleven. Mm-hmm. And it does do the, the, and they really like they push the thing on the back of this. Right. It does have elements of the thing for a while. Right up until up until really that that they leave the kitchen. Yeah, the, the final time. There's this thing, no pun, uh, where you have a monster and it's perceived that that monster can infect anybody and we don't know who the monster is right now. Right. That, and they get paranoid and they start accusing each other and trying to figure out a way to tell who's the monster and, you know, who's not. Right. And it, it's, it's really well done and it definitely harkens back to that famous scene in the thing where they're where they're doing the exact same thing, right? But that's not the book. <laughs> it's, no, it's that's like, only that's it, only just a small portion of the book. It gets weirder. Yeah, after. It's, it's a good it's a good way to describe a part of the book, and it stands out. And I guess the the reason why people would do that was because it gives you a touchstone where Mm -hmm. you could compare it because you have black Sabbath. I mean, that's there. There's like, if you don't get, this isn't black Sabbath, you're a millennial and you never listen to the fucking band. But the, the thing is like where it, that's the most similar you can get to any, anything that's gone on before. And I think that's why a lot of people are comparing it to the thing, but really Mm -hmm. after that scene is, is through, the similarity to the thing just is done. Mm-hmm. So don't, if, if you're like one of those people who reads the back of books and say, Oh, it's a thing. I'm not going to, I've already seen the thing. I don't need to read it. Right. You're going to be disappointed because the rest of it is, goes beyond. Yeah. And, and there are definitely elements from different um, horror uh, genres, I guess, or elements Mm-hmm. Or 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 stories, yeah. You could see some of the thing in there. You could see some of From Beyond in there. Um, a little you know, bit of From Beyond, a little bit of uh, the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, um, a little bit of Hounds of Tindalos. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you could like you could figure what his influences are at any point, and no. if you want to play that. If you want to play that game, that's fine. But I, this this story stands alone. Yes, I, you know, and it really is. Sorry, go, go. Okay, you could you could also go as as far as saying that uh, there's a little bit of Jack Kirby, Doctor Strange in there. Yeah, most definitely. More more than a little. When Doc, yeah, when Doctor Strange got good. Uh, So yeah, there's there's just so many influences here. Um, it, it gets very psychedelic. 
It really does. I mean, it's, I, I, I have to say that I know Tony, like he's my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like he, I'm, I met him through my wife. Um, I go to the same comic book store he goes to blah, blah, blah. So if I didn't like it, it almost seems like I would have to say I liked it, <laughs> but I did like it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I've, I read his other book as well, uh, Nefarious Twit. And this is so much more of a, of a, of a better story, I guess, than Nefarious Twit was. Not that there was anything wrong with Nefarious Twit, but like that was like his, his freshman mm-hmm. attempt. And this is his sophomore effort. And it's like, he skipped a grade. <laughs> right. This is, I have a feeling that uh, an augmented fourth will be the, uh, his paranoid. This will be the album <laughs> that everybody owns. Right. <laughs> That's, they make that joke a lot. Yes, they do. They, that, that joke is, is throughout this book. Yeah, it's it's great because I started listening to Black Sabbath again. I actually listened to Black Sabbath the entire time I read this book. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm going to read Tony's book. Time to crank up some Black Sabbath. Um, yeah, and we get to... Don't tell uh, him I play Humanizer. Right. I mean, we start to having like things like parallel universes. Uh, yeah. Which he handles that really interesting. It's a very... Uh, surreal and psychedelic sequence there. I, that was probably uh, one of my favorite parts of the of the book. I was, you know, the big twist comes, and then we go into the surreal sequence. And I'm like, oh, where are we going now? Yeah, because it's at the end of the thing part. You you do get this twist, and it could have ended right there. As a matter of fact, if it were the thing, it would have ended right there. Right. Pardon me. Yeah, Uh, and and really, and really, as far as like you know, the weird tale or the horror story or anything, it's first person narration. And you know, Codger is telling us this story. And when this twist, well, we'll go ahead and reveal the twist. Uh, Codger is the monster. Yeah, Um, and he handles it really, really well. Yeah, it's a it's a very hard concept to get your head around because he's narrating it. And mm-hmm. what actually is happening? I, I'm not going to give away what actually happens, right? And honestly, I don't know if I fully grasp what actually happens because it was really fucking psychedelic. Oh, I, I I grasped what happened, and I thought it was that particular scene was for in in this genre kind of groundbreaking. It just took us to a place that you don't normally get. In a first-person narration, usually when such a thing happens, you get a POV switch, and you or, get somebody or you get else's a, account of what happened. Right, you get a diary found, or you get fragmented sentences. The window, the window. The yeah, exactly. Or the sea, the sea is calling me. I must go to city with too many consonants. Right, where home of Aquaman. But in this case, we, so, we do not end with the window, the window moment. We keep going. 
And yeah, we end up going deep. We get it from Codger's point of view. We get like, well, I, we'll reveal it because it's just this sequence alone is worth reading the book. Yeah, and then, you know, you get like a, a dark parallel to the Beatles playing Get Back on top of the Apple Records roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you just, it's worth it just to get that point. It totally reminded me of that. Yeah. And it's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of little nods in there to, to classic rock yeah. that really just floats my boat. But, but the way they're, they're put in there is so well done. Like this, this, this concert on the roof, mm-hmm. just like, Fuck. Right. I can't. That I can't. I can't do anything about that for because that will give stuff away. Right. Right. You can't. Uh, you know, and just the 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 idea that you know heavy metal music and whatnot, and 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 how this augmented fourth keeps coming back into play. The devil's chord being being like the human. Uh, Equivalent, you know, the the only way we can replicate this weird cosmic sound that that drives people m- mad, essentially, you know, that it's that chord. And you know, if I had thought about it, I would have said, "Steve, play me an augmented fourth." I can do that. Um, well, you just listened to the song "Black Sabbath," actually. Ah. Down, down, down. Um, but. It's interesting because normally they call that interval a diminished fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not normally referred to as an augmented fourth. And I talked to Tony, I asked him why. Why would you go with augmented fourth when normally it's called the diminished fifth? And he said it just it had more of a punch because uh, and and it fits more in with the plot. This is my projection now. Um, when something's augmented, it's it's added to. Mm-hmm. And when something's diminished, something is taken from it. And the whole setup, the whole way the, the cosmos works in this, and the whole thing about the airworm is augmentation. Right. So it, it's so for those of you who are music theory guys and are gonna like go ape shit because he said augmented fourth instead of diminished fifth. That that is why. Yeah, it goes for the punch. Also, if you'll notice there are four main characters. One of which is augmented. Actually. Well actually. Yeah. So that I I noticed that right away. So you have two layers of meaning. It's like it's like an onion. Or Black Sabbath song. <laughs> so yeah. Um yeah, this will be coming out on the fifth of uh if you're listening eighth. to this, it's the fifth. Uh oh, the right. official book release is on the eighth. So uh, where was well, that at? Steve? At Kamikaze in Cambridge. 
or no, it's in Somerville, my fault. Kamikaze in Somerville, Massachusetts. But you can actually order this right now. Not that you can see this because this is Amazon. Uh, you can order from Amazon. You can order it from Word Horde. Word Horde. Which is the uh, publishing company. They actually, I'll tell you what, Word Horde puts out some good, good shit. We'll plug them. They put out um, Vermilion, The Fisherman. Mm-hmm. They put out, they put out, and this, they put out some good books. So that's our that's our review of an augmented fourth by Tony McMillan. Uh, definitely buy this book. Uh, not to spoil it. Sorry, guys. I know I know a lot of stories we spoil and and really like chew on a lot, but this yeah, one this is, is so good that that we really didn't want to spoil it. It's too new. Yeah, that too. But definitely go out, buy this book, check it out, read it, um, love it, put it up on an Cherish altar and, and praise it, something like that. Paint velvet pictures of uh, Codger, whatever, whatever you, what, however what, you uh, entertain yourself with your fiction. I would be interested to see what would happen if... Um, one of the members of Black Sabbath, because they're all currently alive, except for Ron and James Deal, who you insulted the shit out of continually throughout this book, Tony. Um, I would actually <laughs> love to see what what uh, if any of the Black Sabbath um, members what they would think if they read this book. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. And and there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was our review and discussion of an augmented fourth by the book. Oh, this was also uh, Steve's love letter to rock and roll itself and uh, hate mail to Tony McMillan. Yeah, that, I'm so disappointed in the Ronnie Jane. I'm going to go listen to Rainbow all fucking day just because of this. It's not really hate mail. We're, we're just funning on. I, I like Tony. He, Tony's he, a good guy. If, if you meet Tony on the street, buy him a chocolate milk. Yeah. Where's my chicken, Tony? All right. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.